Hey, welcome to the Northside Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this message today. Our prayer is that this message inspires you, encourages you, uplifts you, maybe even convicts you a little bit with the help of the Holy Spirit. We're grateful that you're joining us here on our podcast. We want to ask that you would real quickly just subscribe to this channel so that you could be notified when new messages go up every week and be looking out for new content in the new coming year of 2023 here on our Northside Church podcast. Enjoy the message. You can be seated. Thank you very much. We're going to take a break from the book of Psalm through the, uh, through the summer. And we are going to do a little mini-series through the letter of Jude. So if you would turn in your Bibles to the letter of Jude, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, right between John and Revelation is the little letter of Jude. Spirit of the Lord had made some things aware to me when I was reading and studying and I'd been sharing some thoughts out of the letter of Jude with, with our men on Saturdays and God really impressed upon me that this is, there's some truth here that uh, our church really needs to hear in these days in which we live. I was reminded a couple of weeks ago when Aaron was preaching on Psalms 119 just how much I love the truth of God's Word. I've given more than 30 years of my life reading and understanding and teaching and preaching the truth. I realize that the truth is what defines and sets apart biblical Christianity. Truth is what set me free when I was born again. The, tr- the church is the pillar and ground of truth. It is the truth that sanctifies the believer. Jesus Christ said, thy word is truth. Jesus Christ himself is truth. And all believers have in this world, that is certain, is truth. It is the rock in which we build our house upon and No approaching storm of any cultural horizon intimidates nor threats the demise of the church. The truth is always under attack. Lies, deception, twisting it, distorting it, redefining it, conforming it into this current ideology, theology, theories, philosophies, Whatever this world has to offer, they're all the time trying to remold the truth. Satan, in one way or the other, attacks the truth. Charles Spurgeon said, The church on earth has, and until the second advent, must be the church militant. The church armed, the church warring, the church conquering. And how is this? It is in the very order of things that so it must be. Truth could not be truth in this world if it were not a warring thing. And we should at once suspect 
that it were not truth if error were friends with it. The spotless purity of truth must always be at war with the blackness of heresy and lies. End quote. He's the brother of James. A prominent leader in the church at Jerusalem. But he was the half-brother of Jesus. Jude was simply a servant. Surrendered, sold out, serving where God had called him. Intending to write about a common salvation, the danger was great. The grace of God was being perverted. Made a license to do whatever as they pleased. Peter had warned the church of their arrival. But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Knowing this first of all. That scoffers will come in the last days. With scoffing following their own sinful desires. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said, I want to warn you that they're coming. Jude said, they're here. The church's message was on the verge of, of taking this fatal turn, becoming pliable, ambiguous, to more attractive, to be more attractive to those that were in tune with their culture. Jude did not want Christians to be caught off guard. The challenge was great. People's lives were hanging in the balance. Believers had nothing to fear. God is able to keep his elect from falling for the lies. Beloved, although I was very eager to write unto you of the common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. To agonize, to fight, to struggle, to battle, to give great effort, to give great exertion. When you add the prefix to the preposition, it intensifies what Jude is saying in verse number 4. Battle mightily. Struggle with all the power that is within you for the faith. And that faith being truth. Fight for the truth. The word is objective. It is not subjective. But it's objective. Jude 1, Jude 2, and Jude 3. Look what the Bible says. Jude... Verse number one, a servant or a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. I want to talk this morning about the certainty 
in the age of deception. The certainty in the age of deception. First of all, there's a critical need for discernment in our day. A critical need for discernment. I want you to note in Jude verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, he said. Unnoticed. They have snuck in. And I want to say to you this morning that we have become so complacent, so comfortable, and so coddled that we cannot tell the difference between a lie and and the truth. They have snuck in. We have been warned of the swelling tide since the days of Christ of false teaching. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. But understand this, that in the last days there will come a time of difficulty. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen in conceit, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power thereof. Avoid such people for from among those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins, always learning and never arriving at the truth. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is a judge of the living and the dead, that by His appearing in His kingdom preach the word. You be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete patience and teaching for a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, John said. They prey on weak, guilt-ridden, emotional wrecks of people. And they reject and are intolerant of confrontive and demanding preaching. So there is this desperate need for discernment. Thinking biblically. You 
will recognize them, Jesus said, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness of deceitful schemes. Discernment is the ability to make a biblical distinction between truth and error, right and wrong. Listen, loved ones, it's telling the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. And we need discernment, the ability to think biblically, living an uncompromising life, confronted with these errors. We need discernment. Number two, we are confronted with some challenging questions in our day. What are the distinguishing marks of a legitimate minister of the gospel? Could you tell the difference between a called minister from God and a counterfeit? Another question that we're confronted with is, what are the distinguishing marks of an authentic Christian? If all this corruption and apostasy is escalating, is God really sovereign? Are things running amok because God is really not in control of everything? Is the individual Christian on the brink of losing themselves in this undercurrent of subjectivity that we live in right now? Will the church cease to exist by being eaten alive from the inside out. I don't know if you've ever heard of the parasistoid wasp. This wasp reproduces by injecting its eggs into caterpillars and then allowing their young to literally eat the caterpillar from the inside out. And once the Larva eats the caterpillar from the inside out. It emerges a wasp and goes and looks for another host to do the same thing. And beloved, I want you to know this morning that you and I are watching the church be injected with erroneous doctrine and it's eating us from the inside out. Which brings us to number three. What are the certainties in an age of deception? This is the heart of the lesson this morning. I want you to note, first of all, that in Jude 1 and in Jude verse 24, Jude bookends our certainty. 
And I want you to look at me just for a minute. And I want you to write this down mentally, in your Bibles, in your notes, wherever it is. There are some things that cannot be undone. Did you see what he said in verse number 2? To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. I want you to note in Jude 24, he bookends our certainty in an age of deception. Look what he says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Certainty in an age of deception. Look what he says here in verse number 2. To those who are, there are some things that can never be undone. The certainty, listen to me, of believers, we are called, we are loved, we are kept, we are blessed, and we have nothing to fear. Did you know what he said here? To the called, to the beloved, to the kept, may mercy and peace and love multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply no matter how dark it gets, no matter how despairing it gets, no matter how desperate it gets. God will continue to bless and bless and bless and bless His chosen people. Certainty in a day, an age of deception. Does God not know how to keep? Does God know, not know how to safeguard and protect and care for His own in dark times? God does. Because what does He say here? That He is able to keep us from stumbling. God will guard His children to make sure they will not fall for the lie. We need discernment. We need to answer the questions. First of all, knowing who I am in Christ helps me in an age of deception. You see, I want you to know something this morning. We, and I'm watching this, and I know you're watching this. If you are watching it and, 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 and you are paying attention to what's going on right now in our in our day and age in which we live, but I am watching the church and Christians and pastors and preachers, if that's what you want to call them, lose themselves in our culture. Losing their identity, losing their purpose, losing their commission, being swept by the undercurrent of this culture who says, oh, this is the norm now. They would dare not go upstream against the current. Because it may cause uncertain, uncomfortable situations for them. When Aaron was preaching on Psalms 119, I wrote in my Bible, in my notes, I will not lose myself. I will not lose who I am in a culture that tries to redefine and categorically place us in different, different groups that we were never intended to be put in. I will not do that. I will know who I am in Christ and what? Reacquaint myself frequently with who I am in Christ. Because that's where my certainty is. Did you note how Jude started his letter? 
Did you understand how he started this letter? He said, you are the called, you are the beloved, you are the kept. You are the beloved, you are the called, you are the kept. That's actually supposed to say in verse number 2, by Jesus Christ. Not for him, but by him. Called. The kletos. The chosen ones. Now if you were to read this in the Greek, the called is at the end of the verse. So being loved and being kept are modifiers of this one truth. Since you are the called, since you are the chosen, since you are the people of God, He loves you and He keeps you. They're modifiers. Jude is just stressing and emphasizing identity in an age of deception. The church can't lose itself. The believer can't lose itself. The preacher can't lose himself. Why? I want you to note in Jude chapter, I mean Jude chapter 1 verse 22. Look at verse 22 of Jude. And having mercy on those who doubt, saving others by snatching them out of the fire. There are people who are being swept away by the lies of our age. And we as a church should have a heart for them and love them and go after them. We can't lose ourselves. We can't stop preaching the truth. We can't stop standing on the truth. We can't stop acquainting ourselves with truth. There are people who are doubting whether God can. Doubting whether God can save. Doubting whether God can help them through their situations and their circumstances. And we who are of the truth, we know that God is able. God can. The pactum salutis. The formal agreement before the foundation of this world to redeem a people to Himself. It's the story behind the story, church. It's the story behind the gospel. A triune God committed in eternity past to redeem a chosen people to Himself for His possession. I want you to look with me in the book of of Ephesians. Just flip right over there. Book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, I want to read this lengthy portion because I want you to really sink your faith into this. I want you to get a hold of this. The triune God committed in eternity past, before there was ever any of us sitting in this room, before there ever was an earth, before there was ever a Genesis 1-1. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came together in the divine councils of eternity pre-eternity, pre-when they existed, when nothing else existed, and they determined that we would redeem a people to ourself. That's why Jude said, you are the called, you are the chosen. Look what he says here, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He has chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of a glorious grace, 
with which He has blessed us in the Beloved in Him. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were, what? The first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in Him, and then you were sealed by the promise of the Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. You are the call, Jude said. Here's the certainty. In a day of deception, you're just not anybody. You are the chosen. You are the called by a sovereign decree that you would be God's people. I'm going to tell you right now, my friend, there's not enough demons in hell that can ever change our identity in Christ. I don't care if Satan parks at the front door of this church and makes our life a living hell on earth. Nothing will change the fact that I belong to him and he belongs to me. Listen, Jude said, you are the chosen. The basis... The basis for all of the purposes of God in nature and history. Foundation of our redemption. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of Him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly and we wait eagerly for the adoption of Son, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but we hope in the unseen. It has yet not appeared, brethren. What we shall be, but when He appears, we shall be like Him. Yes. In an age of uncertainty, central to everything God does in this world, Jesus, the one sent to secure our salvation, everything pivots on the cross as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. In Him. The foundation of our salvation is the covenant. Pactum salutis, the covenant, the agreement. In love, God decreed, conceived, and planned, and and willed to work salvation in our behalf. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to His purpose and the counsel of His will. Let me tell you something. You were on the heart of God way before Calvary. Yes. 
I know the sentiment behind the song. I was on his mind while he was on the cross, but I was on his mind before there ever was a cross. Yeah, the cross just solidified his thought and love to me. Yes. Then there's Jesus Christ, the guarantee, effecting it, acquiring it, dying on a cross. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings, in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will. What will? The will we read about in Ephesians chapter 1. To bring an inheritance to us. To bring us into an adoption. Not of children, but of adult sons. We reap the benefit of an inheritance as an adult son and daughter of God. You are the chosen, Jude said. You know what, this, you know what Jude is? It's called to arms. It's time for God's people to... Stop sitting around soaking in their problems and take up arms and know that there's a fight. We're in a battle. Jude said, I wanted to write to you about a common salvation. I wanted to write to you that we would rejoice in what we had in Christ. But I felt myself turning toward the fact that we need to talk about that you need to earnestly contend for the faith. Let me tell you something, church. Your children's lives depend on it. Your grandchildren's lives depend on it. This community depends on it. A church somewhere in this town that's fighting for the faith. And then there's the Spirit. You have the Father conceiving it. You have the Son carrying it out on the cross. But then you have the Spirit bringing it to you and me. And those whom he predestined, he also called. You are the called, brethren, loved by God and kept by Jesus Christ. If it wouldn't scare y'all, I'd take just a moment just to praise him. For, for listen, certainty in a day of deception. A certainty. That you, he said, I want you not to lose yourself in this day. Don't lose yourself. Because it's easy to lose ourselves. We become political and we become argumentative on social networks and platforms. And he's, you know what the Holy Spirit said? Don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself in that. Paul told young Timothy, a young protege, young preacher, he said, Don't you dare, son, get caught up in meaningless arguments. But you do the work of an evangelist. You go after those who are perishing. You spread the gospel as fast and as hard as you can. Don't worry about the other stuff. It's going to come to an end and God will make all the wrongs right in the end. But there are some, ladies and gentlemen, in church, north side, there are some that we need to snatch from the fire. Being the called is central to our identity. If you don't realize that, then you're losing yourself in this culture. Because the culture will redefine who you are real quick. They'll put you in this category, that category, that category, that category, that category, that category, that category. And I'm going to tell you something. When you know who you are, there are some things that never change. This week, my God, Satan did not want you to hear this message today. <laughs> 
Trust me. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to tell you right now, church, we need Jude in this age in which we're living. Our churches are slipping off into the cultural tide. Somebody's got to stand. Somebody's got to love them. Somebody's got to go after them. Somebody's got to take our children and our grandchildren in their knee and say, listen, thus saith the Lord. Yes. Somebody's got to refuse to compromise. Pure grace, exclusive grace, nothing I've done, just undeserved favor. For by grace, Paul said, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So our salvation is, listen, irreversible. You don't change the mind of God. Listen, what is the ultimate purpose of us being saved? And I've got to hurry. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. Listen, God didn't save you to secure you. He saved you to glorify Himself. And I'm going to tell you something. If God could lose you, it would no longer be to His glory. And so God said, I'm going to keep you by Jesus Christ. Here's a settled reality. Knowing what I have in Christ, not only knowing who I am, but knowing what I have in Christ helps me in the age of deception. Did you notice what he said? A settled reality. For the believer, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Who will separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger? For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are as guarded as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, Paul said in Romans 8. For I am, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. He said, you're the called Beloved of God. But then he says this, a settled reality. The believers kept safe in their salvation. All that the Father gives me, they'll come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will lose not one, Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me and I give to them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Once you're in the Father's hand, once you're in the Son's hand, nobody can take you out, praise God. Nobody can take you out. Nobody can unsave you. Not even yourself. Yes. Let me say this to you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to reveal God keeps me safe, God holds me safe. There will nothing that will break me from the grip of God. You are the called, the beloved, the kept, he says. Now, I've got to be done. You keep amen in a minute and we'll be here another hour. Because I'm telling you something. I'm telling you, praise the Lord. This, this book, I've n- 
Y'all are the first. Y'all are my guinea pigs. I've never preached out of Jude. Never. I've read it and read it and read it and thought, Lord, this is a Wednesday night message. This is not for Sunday morning. But now seeing the day in which we live, we need certainty in an age of deception. we got to know who we are. Amen? To God be the glory. Bless his. Thank God he chose me. There's some things that will never change. Knowing what I have in Christ, the abundant blessing flowing into the believer. You see what he said in verse 2? May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. It's a prayer. It's a promise. It's a pledge. No matter how hard it gets, we'll always be blessed, church. No matter how hard it gets, and it's going to get hard. You hear me? Listen, mark it. Write it down. It's going to get hard. But we will be blessed. I want you to know mercy. If, listen, hypothetically, if we could lose our salvation, it will be done by sin. Amen? There are some that believe that you can lose your salvation by sinning. That's why Jude said, may mercy be multiplied to you. Amen? You know what he's saying? If you could, but you can't. If you could, because listen to me, church, listen to me. We may not always react the right way. We may not always respond the right way. We may not always have the right attitude when we find ourselves being confronted with stuff that we know is not true. We need mercy. But then he says, love when you feel forsaken, when you feel like you're all alone. God's love being poured out and hope does not... What? Does not put us to shame because God's love is being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Then he said peace for every situation. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, Jesus said in John 14. Not as the world gives. Thank God. Let not your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Wow. Northside, listen. No matter how severe the shift occurs within the framework of our society, and it's shifting, I hope you're not an ostrich and you got your head in the sand. Because we're seeing a major shift. No matter how severe the shift is, with such a sudden downturn and a decline, this onslaught of deception that's worming its way into our churches, where subjective truth is now overtaking objective truth, and I hope you know the difference. Subjective truth is just how I feel about it. Objective is the same for everybody. We are objectionists. We believe the Bible is the same for everybody. 
We don't pick and choose what we feel like is right and wrong in the Word of God. We live in a subjective society. It feels like it's good to you. Do it. Perverting the grace of God. And no matter how severe this gets, there are certain things that will never change. And Jude, his point in this opening prologue is rest in the fact that no matter how bad things get, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son. God is faithful. So He has purchased us. He has called us. He loves us. He protects us. He showers us daily with mercy and love and peace because we are His. We are His. We have been eternally secure in our hearts and eternally secure in heaven. 